When you live in a rain-swept, often foggy, sometimes melancholy part of the world like the UK, it's so much easier to see phantoms at every turn. From ghostly monks and nuns to spectral children and the ubiquitous white or grey lady, it would seem the spirits are everywhere. But monks still make up a large proportion of reported sightings. Why is that? Let's find out in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. I do hope that you're well on this pre-winter solstice Saturday. If you are listening to this before 3pm, remember that I am doing my talk with Cresswell Crags on why we tell ghost stories at Christmas. If you're listening to this after, don't worry, I am going to be putting the audio of that talk out as a separate podcast episode between now and Christmas, so you do have that to look forward to. So it's not quite the last episode of 2020, there is going to be another one. But we do have quite a lot to get through because spectral monks and nuns do get about a bit, so without any further ado, let's jump in to this week's episode. So as I said at the start of the episode, when you do live somewhere quite rain-swept and often quite atmospheric, shall we say, like the UK, you do tend to find it's easier almost to get ghost sightings and you do find that a lot of the stories that you'll come across as you go to different stately homes, castles, places of interest around the country will have some kind of story about monks and or nuns. As an example, Owen Davies talks about a phantom abbot that haunted the ruins of Buckfast Abbey in Devon for 300 years and only the construction of a Catholic church on the site in the 1920s seemed to keep him happy. And I think really the word ruins is probably the key here because the dissolution of the monasteries between 1536 and 1541 boosted King Henry VIII's court coffers and it also helped to kickstart the nation's conversion of Protestantism but it also led to the imprisonment and deaths of many monks. And removed from their homes and life purpose, it does seem that they cling on many centuries later, still wandering familiar routes through the remains of their cloisters. We should obviously bear in mind that the dissolution of the monasteries was an incredibly violent period of time. So if you follow one of the theories about where ghosts come from and look at the idea that it, you know they're caused by this violent outburst in the environment that somehow imprints itself on that place, it's hardly surprising that when you would have something like the dissolution of the monasteries that that would cause quite such an effect the way that it does. There are perhaps other reasons why we still see them but we'll get into those as the episode continues. Now I do live in Newcastle upon Tyne which I do think that you could consider to be in many ways the capital of the north. We do obviously have an incredibly ancient history there has been a settlement on the site for centuries. Obviously, we do have the old Roman fort of Ponzelius, and we also had a settlement called Monkchester. So it is an incredibly old and in some ways strategically important site. So clearly, I'm going to start my investigation here. And the other reason I'm going to start it here is because this fair city originally housed White Friars, Black Friars, Grey Friars, Austin Friars, and Benedictine nuns. So there was quite a lot of monkly activity if that's even a word going on at the time 
If you are familiar with Newcastle, the Benedictine convent used to stand where Granger Market now is, and the Greyfriars Monastery was actually on Pilgrim Street. So the area around where the Tyneside Cinema now is, that used to be the Greyfriars Monastery. And you can still see part of the remains of the Blackfriars Monastery behind the gate, where there is like a small part of the cloisters. So where better to find ghostly monks? Now, according to legends shared by Vanessa Histon in her very excellent book Nightmare on Grey Street and also Ghosts of Grangertown, secret underground passages actually linked the monasteries of the Black and Grey Friars with the nunnery St Bartholomew's. And in true Gothic fashion, a nun and one of the Black Friars monks apparently made quite good use of these tunnels and when she fell pregnant, the truth then came out about their saucy affair. Now, as a punishment, the Mother Superior walled her up alive in the convent, which does seem to be a bit of a theme with what happens to pregnant nuns. And some have said that they still see her walking a nearby alley known as Nuns Lane. No evidence exists around the monk's punishment for his part in the affair, although that said, there have been sightings of a ghost in the cloisters of nearby Blackfriars, where the ghost disappears through a wall. So who knows? And if we make our way just down the road to the old co-op building, now a premier inn, we find more tales of spectral monks. And the current building dates to the 1920s, which explains its spectacular Art Deco appearance. But the cellars are actually those of the previous building on the site. And cellar 9 was said to be haunted by a ghostly monk. Now, the previous building was still a co-op, it just looked different. And obviously they used to use the cellars as a storeroom. And apparently staff hated going into cellar 9, especially alone. And they would often report feelings of someone standing behind them, there would be more shadows than there should be, and excessively cold spots. Given the proximity to the Blackfriars complex, could he be a Blackfriar himself? I should also point out that Histon also says that these cellars were prone to flooding, so that might possibly explain the cold spots. But, you know, I don't want to debunk anything. And there was a co-op office on the second floor of the building that overlooked St Andrew Street. And St Andrew Street is the one that runs between the co-op and St Andrew's Churchyard, which we did visit briefly in the episode about the fetch. And at the time, this particular narrow lane, which is now called St Andrew Street, used to be called Darn Crook because it is a little bit crooked. And workers would hear a distinct knock on the door of the office, although when they opened it, there would be nobody there. But because the office was at the top of a flight of stairs, it wasn't like someone was just knocking as they were running past. And you'd have to have something going on for you to want to run up the stairs, knock on the door and then run away again. But incidentally, a warehouse man once actually reported seeing a man in what appeared to be a dark coat going up the stairs, only to disappear at the top. So you do have to wonder... Are these ghostly figures still wandering round the Premier Inn Hotel that now occupies the building? And that's one of the things that I have actually wondered about with all these lockdown things and certain buildings now standing empty for huge periods of time, but then also not not as many people being out and about in the streets. Has that then affected the number of sightings that we're likely to get? Obviously, there are more important things to worry about at the moment than ghost sightings, but I think that will be something that could be revisited in a few years time when obviously we've really managed to sort out what's happening with everyone else. Now not all ecclesiastical ghosts potter about their local abbey ruins and the so-called black monk of Pontefract terrorised a Yorkshire family years before the Enfield haunting popularised English poltergeists and the house in question is 30 East Drive on the Checkerfields estate. Now, the Pritchard family moved into the house in 1966, and that's two parents, their 15-year-old son and 12-year-old daughter. And if you look on my blog, there's a photo of 30 East Drive, and it's an incredibly unassuming-looking house from the outside. 
Now, the family suffered disturbing ghostly activity, including they found furniture overturned and pictures slashed, objects disappeared from around the home, pools of water appeared seemingly at random, foul smells plagued the house, the sound of heavy breathing filled the air, and the light snapped on and off. Now, add sightings of a black-robed figure to the list, and clearly the family grew terrified, and the parents even saw a cloaked shadow floating over their bed. A police, a vicar, and a local MP all witnessed the events. Now, a local paranormal investigator named Tom Cuniff actually looked into the history of the local area and according to him, the town gallows originally stood across the street from the house and one of the victims of the gallows was the Black Monk, a 16th century monk hung for raping and murdering a young girl. So Cuniff came to believe that the entity was the Black Monk attracted by the family's 12-year-old daughter. Clearly, the big question is, is it true? As always with these things, it is quite difficult to tell because the events did inspire the rather insipid 2012 film When the Lights Went Out, but ghostly monks don't often make objects appear out of thin air or leave bruises on the neck of a teenage girl and sources claim that using holy water in the house angered the entity and it apparently painted upside down crosses on the walls. Now, I feel I should interject at this point because this confuses me. I'm not sure why a monk would have a problem with holy water, but there we go. The disturbances did cease after two years when the daughter reached 14, so did that mean that she'd passed the point at which the black monk lost interest in girls, or was something else going on? Now these narratives about monks gone bad do seem to derive from the Reformation, and during this particular period of religious tumult, there was a real desire to besmirch Catholics. So popular literature depicted monks acting in really depraved and licentious ways to justify their ill treatment at the hands of the Reformation. And Matthew Lewis's famous novel, The Monk, from 1796, updates these tropes for a gothic audience. And sometimes it does feel like it's actually these narratives that persist in the popular imagination through ghost stories, rather than anything that's actually found in the historical record. Now, you can't talk about ghostly monks and not talk about Bowley Rectory. And many discussions of English hauntings naturally turn to Bowley Rectory in Essex, and it's the site for stories of ghostly monks and nuns. And allegedly built on the site of a Benedictine monastery, a fire actually destroyed the rectory in 1939. Now, I do have an extended Fiverr's Folklore episode about Bowley Rectory where we dig into its history and what actually went on, and you can get access to that by becoming a Patreon supporter at the £3.50 a month tier. You will also get access to episodes on things like the Highgate Vampire, the village of Pluckley, which also has ghostly monks, the legend of Asserina and the Glasgow vampire. But we're going to have a potted history for now. And if you do want that extra episode, then do just support the, the podcast on Patreon and you'll be able to get access to it. Now, one of the legends about Bowley Rectory explains ghostly monks in the property, but it also adds spectral nuns into the bargain because, according to this part of the legend, the Benedictines built their monastery on the site in 1362 and then one of the monks fell in love with a nun from a convent seven miles away. They planned to elope, but being discovered, ended up in the hands of their elders. The monk was hanged, and they bricked the nun up alive in the underground vaults. So again, it's much like the ghostly nun in Newcastle, where she's walled up alive. Although this time we do know what happened to the monk. It is interesting that most of the sightings actually involved the nun, and according to one legend, the occupants bricked up the dining room window to stop her ghost peering in at them, but then another story actually records a sighting of the monk and the nun crossing the grounds, so if that one's true, it is quite nice to know that they got to be together in the end. The sightings ramped up after 1927 when one of the owners died in the rectory, and Reverend Lionel Foster and his wife recorded over 2,000 poltergeist phenomena between 1930 and 1935. 
The famous investigator Harry Price even looked into the case himself, and I won't sport with your intelligence about the veracity of his methods. And while he didn't report any ghostly monks, a journalist apparently saw the nun. Now, authorities demolished the gutted rectory in 1944, and there's a really famous photograph from the demolition, and it does look like there's a brick appearing to levitate in a doorway. And lots of people were like, oh my god, that's obviously proof that there's poltergeist activity going on at the rectory. So you do have to wonder, was it thrown by a nearby workman or was it lifted by unseen hands? Most people think it was the former, but I do actually explain it in the exclusive episode of Fabulous Folklore. There is a picture of it on my blog, though, so if you want to go and have a look and see if you can figure out what's going on with this like flying brick, then be my guest. And it's not just flying bricks that photographs have captured because a photograph taken in 1996 near the rectory's graveyard appears to show a monk in the background. So maybe ghostly monks do still patrol the grounds. Now, I did obviously start off with a question about why do we have these ghostly monk sightings in the UK in the first place? And I do actually think that we have three main reasons. The first is that a monk is incredibly easily recognisable. Because if you just saw a man in a suit, you'd have literally no idea what his profession was. But a monk, the bald head and his habit are a dead giveaway. And this is the approach that Owen Davies takes. Because he says, and I quote, The ubiquity of ghostly nuns, monks, roundheads and cavaliers is due considerably to the fact that they are easily recognisable by their habits and headgear. So clothes identify the period and the period provides the reason for the haunting, end quote. And that's also why you often get stories of things like Roman centurion ghosts, but nobody ever claims that they've seen like a Bronze Age farmer or something. Now, secondly, the presence of a monastery then helps to tie a monk to a specific place. So thanks to the dissolution of the monasteries, some of these are now in ruins like Gervaux Abbey, Finkel Priory or Whitby Abbey. And as tourist attractions, all of those extra visitors to these ruins mean that more people are likely to see ghostly monks on site. And obviously when you've then got so many stories of ghostly monks, people are more inclined to see them in the first place. So it is one of those things that you do have to be careful about when you are doing ghost hunting things, that somebody isn't primed to expect to see something because they've heard about it so much. So that's just something to bear in mind. So if I was going to go to a monastery ruin and I'd heard there was a ghostly monk, am I more likely to see it because I've heard the legend? Besides which, other monasteries, like those in Newcastle, exist either in tiny fragments, like Blackfriars, or not at all. And the ruins are actually buried under office blocks, leisure centres, hotels or schools. And this helps to explain why the figures associated with the monasteries then appear in really unusual places. Witness the figures walking around the co-op office building in Newcastle. And a last little story. In the 1970s, a nun wearing horn-rimmed glasses used to appear on the first floor of a shop on Newcastle's Pilgrim Street and she would smile at customers before disappearing. I don't think there's any record of her having been seen since the shop changed hands and nobody knows where she got the horn-rimmed glasses from. At least she was quite a friendly one. But the final reason why we might see ghostly monks and nuns is the fact that monks are creatures of habit and you are going to have to pardon the pun there because with their lives dictated by prayers and other routines they would trudge around the same routes around the same grounds every day. So it's fairly unsurprising that their spirits would continue to do the same. Now what I want to know is have any of you ever seen ghostly monks or nuns? Please do feel free to let me know using all the traditional methods be that like Instagram, Twitter, email, whatever. And do also use those same methods to let me know if there's anything you'd like to hear about in future. 
there is going to be the extra episode next week, which is the audio version of my talk with Cresswell Crags, where we are looking about why people tell ghost stories at Christmas. And we will also be having a little bit of a look at how you can use witch marks to deter ghosts. So that should be quite fun. And then we'll be going into January and then we'll be looking at the kind of origin stories behind the different constellations that make up the star signs. So if you're interested in the zodiac or astrology, hopefully you will enjoy that particular episode. But that is it for this week's episode. I hope that you have a marvellous winter solstice on Monday, which is the 21st of December, and I will see you soon. Cheerio. Well, thank you for listening and thanks for visiting Fabulous Folklore. I hope you enjoyed your stay. If you did, why not consider subscribing in your podcast app of choice? If you enjoy the show, why not leave me a review and help other listeners to find it as well? And if you'd like bonus exclusive episodes of the podcast, then why not support me on Patreon? It does help me to keep the show going and it means that you get a little bit extra every month as well. And you can find all of the necessary links in the show notes below. So without any further ado, I will bid you adieu and I hope that you have a safe travels wherever you're going on to next.